walk smartly down the street with the brim pool way down low. Ain't no sound but the sound of speed. Machine guns ready to go. This is a great song ready? to start with. Are you ready for this? Are you hanging on the edge? Yeah, I never use this. A twisted I sense of humor on my part, but yeah. To the sound of the beat, yeah. Why? Because the queen died when you're using that? The dust. And this is Queen's song. Get it? Another one bites the dust. <laughs> And another one gone, and another one gone Another one buys the dust Hey, hey, we're gonna get you too Another one buys the dust Welcome everyone To episode 123 Of the Light Shed Podcast And of course also A welcome to Olivia Basil, who is the newest member of the Light Shed team. She was actually on live last week, um, but I forgot to give her uh, a big welcome. Light Shed warm welcome. <laughs> I don't know if uh, it's warm. <laughs> it's something here. I thought you had fever, Brandon. You're warm. Uh, I definitely am warm. I've had... Um, I've been sick for like three days, a what I believe to be non-COVID illness. Were you a sickly child? Because I do feel like you get sick well, a lot. This is a I don't get sick a lot. That is <laughs> that is absolutely wrong. I'm never sick. I Walter, never Walter. I never had reason. I never had COVID. The one time people that I think I may have had COVID when I had fever, I skied through it. I wrote two things this week, and I never write when i was sick so i'm a warrior that's how you should be you don't write when you're not sick that's what that's my point i'm a warrior. so when you thought you might have covid you skied and exposed other people on the slopes no no no, no, no. Uh, i thought that's there what were, you just said um you said you skied through it when you yeah, thought you might I have skied COVID. Through, yeah but dude do you understand that you were required to wear a mask while skiing? Plus, I had all the other stuff over my face. Plus, I was just on the lift with my wife. Okay. And it was outdoors. Okay. What? Is that the, is that the CDC guideline? Uh, <laughs> you ever followed CDC? I'm just calling out those that were just telling everyone else they should follow the cdc yeah, guidelines i didn't out personal I didn't, behaviors i didn't point out anything <laughs> you just did whatever <laughs> why don't we talk about rich is supposed to be the target on this podcast not brandon it's i know like, you just left that it, one open i know as as history people, has people it. told me i have to push back more to push back yeah, people say I have to. I can't take the shit I take from you too on the oh. podcast. They say I have to be a little. I have, I have to be a little like nastier back. All right, so be so be nasty. I have something to be nasty about for you though, as oh, Joe Galone pointed out. That actually, Joe Galone missed the whole thing. Joe Galone messages our group this morning and is like, Rich came off a red eye, and didn't post a selfie of himself, you know, from under the chin as usual coming off the red eye and so i was like i find that hard to believe i popped open instagram and the very first circle in my stories was rich greenfield i popped on it there were two 
The first one was the biggest smile I've ever seen, which was Rich at the Disney headquarters. And Rich met with Bob Chapik and Christine, I think, one-on-one, separate one-on-ones. We could hear about it later um, there. And then the second was the usual, like, you know, him with his head oh, back. I'm such a travel warrior. Uh, I'm so I'm a real. Like, did you notice anything about the picture? I'm getting too old for this. Ooh, did you notice anything about this. the picture? It was a forward-looking picture with me inserted into it. So it's the new Snapchat where it takes both a forward and backward picture and combines right, gonna, them I'm gonna, seamlessly. Okay, I'm going to pull this up. Hold on. It's pretty cool. Otherwise known as a ripoff of Unreal. Bro, be real. real. Be real. Excuse me. All right, yes. bro. Whatever oh, it how, is, how innovative of them. <laughs> whatever it is, you look copy, as copy. Copy the competition. Look at, this, look at this shit. You look just as horrible as you ever have in these. Go push uh, back on that, Rich. Well, I was excited to be at Disney for the first time on campus in seven years, so it was definitely a very good week um, out in LA. Code conference. Um, probably the, I, I don't know. I wonder if it's going to be the last code conference because Kara is not going to be there anymore. And they're Scott and Kara doing their own conference. So it'll be interesting. Like what happened? The Miami to code. conference. Well, it's not in Miami anymore. I found out because wow, of Miami, the, whole... the flame has already come out of Miami. That was well, quite... they basically killed Miami because of don't say gay. And they moved it to oh, Newsom actually had it moved to California, which is why I think, you know, all ties into Newsom speaking uh at at code this year so okay uh, just california it's don't turn on your electricity well that is for sure it was pretty hot we talked about brandon we talked about rich rich are you ready to ask walt about himself (laughs) 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 that that would be a big step forward in therapy so good (laughs) Well done, Brandon. Very well done. Um, I'd also like to mention that, Brandon, I really appreciate you trying to hold up that picture of Rich. It was hard to see. But this hopefully um, will be one of Olivia's new jobs is that editing pictures like that so that at, when this gets to final production, we can have those <laughs> a very large version of Rich's Instagram be real ripoff um picture posted on the up on the screen anyone buy a new iphone yet (laughs) uh no i'm definitely getting it 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 looks um use it looks like it has increased functionality or something or other (laughs) longer longer better battery life better better camera (laughs) 48 megapixels What are the nits? Uh, the nits, yeah, they, the nits are amazing. everything. And that the one amazing. thing I do, I do want that that watch. I knew you were um, going to say that. I definitely want the watch because one frustration. You're watching I your had, wrist. I didn't see it. Yeah, it's on my wrist. One oh. frustration I've had with the Apple Watch is when I go diving, um, okay. it's only good down to like ten feet, so I have to wear a separate diving watch, and now I won't have to wear two watches. It definitely seems like a very broad market for people that go diving and are like running through the desert. That seems like a a mass market. Oh, right. And then there's the other people that want to have a much larger watch on their wrist to show off that they actually have the $800 Apple watch. No, but it has 2000 nits. 
So if if you're like me and you can barely open your eyes and you need as light as much light to be on the object as possible, then it works. Rich, what happened to the Sunday ticket announcement? I thought you, th- you I thought you believed that maybe yeah, they were going to that, gonna that, that one happen yesterday. at Apple. Why? Why did? You no, know, I went yeah. on Bloomberg. You were priming me to say that they wanted to talk more about China. So I didn't say, thank God, I didn't try and predict that maybe Sunday ticket would get announced because it was absent at the Apple event. Rich, what happened? Hello, are you there? Rich? I would have thought it was going to happen. I really don't know what's taking so long. (laughs) They sort of said by the start of the season, this is sort of the start of the season. I don't know. It's sort of odd. I mean, there's there's no rumblings of anyone new or, you know, I mean, Sort of seems like everyone sort of just believes it's Apple at this point. I don't yeah, really know. Except what's... for a couple analysts that, that seem it's Amazon. Overall, like it, as we've put the pieces together, it seems like this will be a little bit more of a complicated deal. There could be some extra components to it that people. Sure. I mean, look, the NFL expecting. network is still and, for sale. I mean, there's and, things that are other pieces to this, the NFL mobile rights. I mean, there's other things going on, but I'm still surprised. I mean, we're getting, we're only maybe a year away. But, but it's yeah. only a year away. Remember, like you're literally 12 months away from this happening. Literally. You got to get this literally got to get this done before the Super Bowl. OK, let's let's go to let's go to this Rich, week's big announcement. Before, which was, before we yeah. get to the big announcement, have you yet asked Walt anything about himself? <laughs> Walter, could you describe your background today? That's handling on Thames, Rich, out of respect um, for the queen as opposed to the, I think, the inappropriate song that we led this podcast with. <laughs> we all know okay. I have an extremely twisted sense of humor. So, All right. Can we talk about <clears throat> Let's do it. first let's, slide now? Let's go to slide one. Maybe I should stream Downton Abbey this week, and I said it properly. Oh, wow. Look at that. Go ahead, Walter. So a little background before I read the Elon Musk tweet that's up there. As, as you all may recall, I think we talked about this on the podcast uh, two weeks ago. Elon and Mike Siever, the CEO of T-Mobile, announced uh, plans to do some type of satellite connectivity to your phone in advance of what many people expected, which is Apple's new iPhones do, in fact, the current ones, um, will enable some satellite connectivity into the phones what's it what's it was a little disappointing to me because it's it you have to do an emergency call so i think that's again a limited market meaning that like let's say we're out hiking somewhere in in utah and it's me and brandon and like he drops me off i go for my own little walkabout and i want and i want to reach him i want to just send him a message brandon pick me up at that drop-off spot because i don't have any you you can't do that with this service. You have to do it's so to me that's that well, was so a, when, when will but, it actually work? Like give if, me the example if, of when it will work. If well, you're but, the per, right, if you're the person who's about to get eaten by a bear, then it'll work, right? Right. As long as you rely on the global star constellations, which is very suspect relative to like an iridium const- satellite constellation. I don't know if you're going to get an immediate savings of a bear um or <laughs> or a true emergency but the way it works rich is you have to basically go through a number of screens i have an emergency what's the emergency and they're trying to basically compress the message to get sent to a call center the call center it gets gets sent to is something that apple has been developing over the past couple of years garmin already has and purchased a company that has the most robust call center out there so i don't know this is 
to me, it, it wasn't great. With that said, it's certainly, I think, as we've talked about in the last podcast and I wrote about in a recent note, I think a better way to go after the market than I think what Elon and T-Mobile has proposed. And yet, and here's Elon two weeks after announcing a different way, which is the Elon's way, just as a refresher was the satellite, which is Starlink in his case, acting like a big cell tower in the sky. So Elon tweets yesterday, we've had some promising conversations with Apple about Starlink connectivity. iPhone team is obviously super smart, whatever. That's a throwaway comment. Crazy that Elon is the only person that can actually talk about having conversations with Apple. Everyone else is scared shitless about ever mentioning a conversation with Apple. But this second paragraph is key. For sure, closing link from space to phone will work best if phone software and hardware adapt to space-based signals versus Starlink purely emitting, emulating a cell tower. So he's basically two weeks. <laughs> He's basically saying it's better to do the way Apple's doing it than the way he just announced two weeks ago that he plans to do it with Starlink and T-Mobile. Oh, my God. Is there a reason why he would say that, though? Like, how do you reconcile that? Well, first of all, he's right. But the question is, why the fuck did you do the announcement two weeks ago with T-Mobile? Like, it just, I mean... So if I was skiing and I get buried by an avalanche and I don't have a cell (laughs) If you get buried by an avalanche... You better. Is this thing is this thing automatically ringing? Like thing. when I fall, like when I fall, if you fall, it's not automatic. No, no, Rich. No, there's no automatic. automatic. There, there is there's another no... automatic service which is different than this. Which you, is the, the avalanche. The little... You have to have a beacon anyway, Rich. Sorry, go ahead, Walt. Right, because you're under snow. Exactly. <laughs> they have to be able to find you under the snow, and not just know your general area. You. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's for emergent. Look, it's going to get better over time, and. There'll be other constellations and other spectrum that I think gets gets integrated. This is the this is probably the future satellite connectivity. But like to me, it's more interesting. Again, like I want to be able to send Brandon a text to pick me up. Or let's say I'm going to say even a more basic example. I'm in my hammock in the backyard and I'm outside of my Wi-Fi reach. My T-Mobile or my AT&T signal doesn't reach the hammock. Yeah, and I want to text a kid to bring me a beer. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think- mean, I would love that. A big use right. case is in, I mean, and this is like, this is pretty serious in all national parks and national forests, which covers quite a lot of area, especially area where people do outdoorsy things that some of which are more dangerous. There are no cell towers in this, in this country. That is a big safety weak spot. When do we get to the point where I can communicate with people for real, not just an emergency signal, but communicate um, with people um, in that environment. There's a number of approaches like AST Mobile and another company, Lynx, are launching new satellites, new constellations to connect your phone in those situations. You also have more towers are going to be put somewhere. Those towers are going to be connected the backhaul, meaning your phone communicates with the tower and then that tower goes to space to like a telesat or to Amazon's putting up their own constellation. So there's, I think a number of different approaches we'll get there over time. Um, But again, like, I think there's a lot of applicability for that. And, but again, the odd thing is again, to go to, to restate, they announced something with T-Mobile and then two weeks later effectively admit that Apple's approach. And I think what Iridium's approach is going to be. And what I think is how Samsung and Google are going to approach this is different. 
Mm-hmm. Um, also, what's interesting is the second tweet is just referring to the fact that Elon effectively through SpaceX or Starlink is going after Global Star, who is the partner to Apple in this new space connectivity thing. So on one hand, you're saying, hey, I'm having good conversation with Apple. This is the way to do it. And then now you're going after Apple's connectivity partner, in this case, Global Star, who has a satellite, a limited satellite constellation that they're going to bolster over time. Well, it, maybe that does make sense because what he's trying to do is take away the competition's deal with Apple. Sure, I know I understand that, but like yeah. I don't know how <laughs> Apple becomes your partner or your friend. And frankly, T-Mobile is the only company at the moment partnered with SpaceX and Starlink. So I'm not sure how Apple feels about T-Mobile. Who's, who should theoretically be a partner with Apple, given that you know how important of a vendor Apple is, to like be partnered with Elon as he's going after them and trying to attack their version of space connectivity to your phone. But again, it's Elon, so you know, not many rules. Apply. Elon being Elon, that should probably <laughs> take us to. I hope a, a slide on Twitter is next. No, we, we still we, we still don't? have one more. Fuck. We still have one more on the iPhone oh, okay. 14. But I, I right. can bring up Elon. Would have been. <laughs> let's okay. let's hold that thought then hold and, that thought. Shuffle, and shuffle up anything we have on Elon. I will. Me. I will. I will. Hold on a second. <laughs> the only, rather than getting into the details of the announcement, I just want to highlight because Spectrum obviously is, an, is a concept or, or a topic that's near and dear to our hearts. Um, <clears throat> there was a big surprise in kind of nerd land in that the iPhone includes this Spectrum that Dish owns. Dish only owns. So it's hard, like if to create an ecosystem to get people to use your network, you want to have a lot of phones out there that can actually work on the network. This band 70, which is, is unique to Dish, this is the first phone. It's this is a very atypical thing to happen because because normally Samsung would be the first guys to put in new spectrum in their phones, and then and then Apple's like a year or two behind because they don't have to, right? They so this is this was very interesting, and I think it's certainly gonna help Dish. You know, as they kind of move forward here um, in, in launching some service, eSIM was also another big thing that's going to is is really kind of keys into new business models. Meaning that, let's say you're walking into a building, you hold your phone up to a QR code, it can send you onto that network as a private network. Or maybe you go to a Dish kiosk and say, "Okay, here's my existing service. I've got eSIM. Rather than worrying about swapping out SIMs and validating." You look at a QR code, and all of a sudden, you can you can quickly subscribe to that service. So I think it, it's going to open up a lot of things. So that, those were two kind of techie, but under the radar things that could could help to change the wireless market. Why do you think out of nowhere this happened? Like no idea. I mean, typically in the old days, uh, like let's say when BlackBerry dominated the world, you'd have to you'd have to com- like I think Nextel in the early days had a. Not all Com- listeners remember those days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you had to like say, BlackBerry, I'm going to buy a million phones from you if you put my spectrum in your phone. So sometimes there's um, commitments to purchase certain numbers of phones. Um, I don't know if Dish is in a position to do that. Um, you know, Amazon is obviously a good partner with Dish. So look, if the wireless market gets opened up more because of eSIM, and because of Dish and Amazon, that's going to be good for Apple, right? They're going to be selling more devices. So it's possible that was the reason. I don't know. But it was definitely a surprise. And sort of just out of nowhere. But let's stick with Elon because I know you guys love Elon. 
So uh, we've got the Elon trial with Twitter this week. The, the funny part was, this is Carissa Bell, almost three hours into the Musk Twitter hearing, and I actually laughed out loud at this exchange. Musk's lawyer, they were talking about the whistleblower complaint. One might wonder why we didn't discover this in due diligence. They'd hit it. That's why. Judge, we'll never know. There was no due diligence. <laughs> it's just amazing. Which sort of goes yeah, to this. We've been talking case. about that for forever. I mean, Elon waived his right to due diligence. Now, the argument he is making is that the SEC filings, which were public, that he should have been able to rely on, were fraudulent, I guess he is saying. I mean, theoretically, if they didn't do what the FTC told them to do and they were not taking the appropriate measures, sure, possibly. Uh, I guess anything is possible. But then the other piece of this that Elon got sort of worked up or triggered about this week was, so I was at, I was at the code conference and I was able to ask uh, Bob Iger a question up on stage at CodeCon. But right after yeah, but me, that Alex, is, yeah, I was going to say that. But, but right after me, Alex Heath got up, um, you know, another friend of the shed, Alex Heath over at The Verge asks Iger when they were looking at buying Twitter back in 2016, you know, sort of just is poking around about the bots issue. And Iger literally goes um, that a substantial portion of Twitter's users were, quote, not real when Disney considered buying Twitter and sort of turned that into a whole article. And then Elon responds on Twitter. Interesting, dot, dot, dot. What is sort of gotten lost in the reporting of this, and I, I called Alex Heath out on this and a bunch of others that were sort of running with this storyline is that back in 2016, Twitter didn't report daily active users. They didn't report monetizable daily active users. They reported MA, sorry, um, they only reported MAUs back then. Right, but and the if, MAUs themselves could have been false. Well, no, no, but think about this. MAUs is a massive number. There was always right. a huge gap. DAUs, forget about MDAUs. DAUs were well less than half, like it was like 30 to 35% of, of monthly active users were daily users. And then some portion of that are monetizable daily right. active no, users. No, I, under, I understand. So it's totally believable that a large percentage of monthly users were bots. So it's very consistent. Right. But why couldn't month, you're saying monthly users could be largely bots, but daily users? Not largely, be. but there could be a substantial portion of monthly Monthlies, users. but not a substantial portion of daily. No, I don't understand listening. what the You're difference. not listening. So let, let's go step by step. A substantial portion of monthly users could be bots. Yes. A substantial portion of daily users could be bots. Okay. What Twitter reports in their filings is monetizable daily active users that they sell to advertisers or use for ad sales. That cuts out a tremendous portion of the bots that Got they it. believe in. And then of the piece that Twitter believes is monetizable, they say under 5% Got it. are bots. That's the, again, it, it gets completely lost in the right. press. Yeah. It's like, that's, that's a good, that's a good point, Rich. Thanks and so they're just not this. It's just not the same as saying. So you're yes, saying has, that they go through a process before they report monetizable DAUs, which is their metric. They go through a process by which they cull down who's a bot and who's not. Correct. But why don't they just cut those bots out in that process? They cut some. I don't know why. They, it's, a good, it's a good question, and I don't have that answer. I think the just going back to the first tweet, um, 
typically in court cases, when you get body language of judges, juries, whoever, um, it kind of gives you an indication which way the case is going to go. And I just, you know, just wonder if like those lawyers are looking at that and saying, maybe it's time for us to try and talk about some type of a settlement. I think all signs, to, you know, I think it's just interesting how, you know, sort of everyone we talk to close to this situation sort of makes it sound like Elon still wants to buy this. He'd like a little bit lower price. And you wonder as this gets to trial, I think that your point is right, Walt, like night before, do they just say like, hey, instead of 54? Well, I don't think you do- wait till night before, because if it's night before, then someone knows which way it's going to go. That's not typically how settlements. I know that works well for movies, but um, it wor- it works you, it works well for contract negotiations, I suppose. But but as the court case goes, the longer you go. I mean, we had this when we talked to the lawyers that were part of the charter um, lawsuit that won like whatever it was a billion dollars. Like the longer they want to kick this can down the road, the higher the numbers effectively going to get because you're that much closer towards a towards a conclusion that you've got color from the questions that the judge or the jury is asking or, or how that goes. So I don't know. We'll see how that plays out. But I guess the other question is if Elon wants to settle and make some payment, um, you know, how high does it, how close does it have to be to, to capturing the, the difference between the current kind of unaffected stock price in 5420, 80%, 90%. I don't know. <sighs> What's your call I, on this, Rich? Look, I. You think this is I, I, I think, 420 still, right? Do I think I do? Well, that implies no but, settlement then. That's but, right. But if, but if you had a settlement, could 90% get you there? Probably. I don't think. I wouldn't settle for 80% given the way Walt just sort of laid out. Sort of everything seems to be tilting in their direction. So that's would what's I give 90%. Out? But then, but then, like but then 40, it's just on that, like 47. Yeah. But if then no, it's just, then it's just 49. But then I, it's game- I, mean, I just did that math in my head. <laughs> but that's game theory. So if you're if you're only going to save 10%, then it's like, why not just roll the dice? It's not a practical <laughs> consideration unless you know for a fact you're definitely losing. So you might as well grab 10%. Yeah, you're right. 4878. I know. I can do math in my head better than you actually think I can. <laughs> did anyone okay. see my face right now? <laughs> <laughs> Let's move uh, to another uh, speaker at Code this week was was Evan Spiegel. And he was sort of, you know, obviously he was getting grilled on sort of the the layoffs and the global economy and IDFA and everything that's been pressuring him. But there was two things that came out of a leaked memo the same day he spoke that Alex Heath, uh, once again, um, came out with this um, leaked internal memo. And there were two things that stood out. One is the company expects to get or hopes to get to $6 billion of revenue next year, which would be, you know, we're talking 30 plus percent revenue growth off of current expectations for this year. So that would be a real re-acceleration. So it's not the 50% plus that Snap was growing at sort of before its troubles uh, in, you know, early this year uh, when the stock was, I don't know, 70 plus, but it would be a pretty dramatic- it was the very beginning of the year. I think very beginning. I think we were still, you know, I think they reported, I think the year end, it was still a big number, Brandon. I, I think they were still there. I think it really fell off when they were, were coming out with Q1, but I'd have to go back All and right. look. But still, $6 billion would be a huge number. So that's one interesting thing. And they clearly think direct response, like moving away from brands, or not away, but really focusing on, on direct response. Now having Jerry Hunter, their former CTO, 
I know Walt loves CTOs, but their former CTO building and really focusing on the ad product side for direct response is going to be a big tailwind for them. But then the other thing that they are excited about, which is the second piece of what Heath reported, is that they think that the number of subscribers to Snap Plus, that's their $4 a month service, with, you know, lets you access it on a laptop, lets you pin your favorite friend to the top of your friend list. It's it was at a million subs in week in the in the first six weeks. And they think it ends the year at four million and just keeps growing from there. It's a pretty yeah. big subscription business. No, they there was low hanging fruit there for sure. Um, how big is it? I mean, the rule of thumb is generally something like two percent of your DAU. Right? Well, I mean, what's this? How many Snap so, super fans? I shouldn't you think about it like that? Who how many of the of the Snap user base? Yeah. How I many mean, but like that's are it. diehards that are gonna pay look for at, those? Look at look at all the mobile game statistics, like all these other freemium businesses. Like what's the conversion ratio? It's generally somewhere on mobile around two percent. So if you're talking about what did they say, four hundred and fifty million DAU? Right. Um, that would be nine correct. million. That would be nine million subscribers. I mean, that would be a pretty big number if it was yeah, just that. I'm just, I'm, yeah, I'm saying, you know, and then what, 13 and a half or whatever it is, if you get to 3%. Yeah. Just big numbers for, you know, sort of incremental. I mean, again, it's 100% margin revenue. Right. There's but, no cost. But can we to talk about what's interesting to me is the reacceleration in ad revenue and sort of what, especially because we that. said it was over last week. Well, what do we, what do we think is behind that? Right. Is, is that this DR? Is it um, economic recovery? No, is I it, think if, if anything, in handling, my conversations, he seems more the, negative on the because, economy. Okay. Because all the DR stuff is still very largely or has been very largely affected by ATT. So as part of this, there has to be more workaround, um, an improved workaround on the ATT effects or some belief that Apple is improving um, their own algorithms. I think this is just improving their DR flywheel themselves, getting better ROI. And again, even in a weak economy, if you're getting good results in DR, you will spend more, whereas in brands, you certainly won't. So I just think it's a reallocation of resources towards DR and better performance. And okay. yeah, some of it, well, I'm sure DR, is- you need targeting. That's, a, sure. that's what I'm trying to say, right? right. Which is, which so they believe why- they are going to improve their targeting Correct. despite last year's and ongoing headwind from eight from att which means they believe they have their workarounds are improving in that regard and they are ready to actually ramp up the amount of inventory dedicated to that space that's exactly what okay. i took away from that okay perfect. why don't you read the next one um this is from dallas lawrence you know it's- dallas lawrence by the way I do. do you know where you know Dallas Lawrence from? Dallas, Former Roku and now it's Samba TV. Oh, I do know Dallas. Sorry, Dallas, if you're listening. <laughs> I'm a little under the weather. It's on at CodeCon. 
quote, it feels like TikTok is kicking the shit out of everybody, end quote, said Professor Galloway. <laughs> what was that? As I moved my, my microphone. Oh, I thought that was like. I would know, like sound I, effects like I that. Olivia, that, can I, we get I sound thought, effects? I thought that was a jeer. Uh, when I said Professor Galloway, no. <laughs> I literally a, thought that was planned. It was an immediate toot. Yeah. Every time he speaks, it makes me want to. Yeah. In in his lead up question to Snap CEO Spiegel, if, quote, TikTok should be banned. Um, what? It's on it. Code. It feels like TikTok is kicking the shit of it, said Professor, in his lead up question to Snap CEO Spiegel, if quote tiktok should be banned period i don't i don't even understand that at all he's the, the tweet, oh he, did he, oh my. i'm gonna have walt read it now because you yeah, obviously are incapable you always go ahead walt. the tweets and i don't i keep telling walter, you please, let me read the tweets walter please go whether ahead. sick or he's not. gone <laughs> walt he's gone he's off it's off galloway always ask leading questions right which is not a bad interview tactic should tiktok be banned and then basically um Oh, he's asking if TikTok should be banned. Yes. I'm Unfortunately, sorry, Evan demurred to the so federal. Foggy. So, yeah. So he's basically Galloway's saying, asking um, Speaks if, you know, it's time to ban TikTok, which obviously it's like that's like a throwing up a softball. Unfortunately, Evan demurred to the federal government. CFIUS review process underway rather than engage. Yeah, that's fine. That's the political thing to do. There's plenty of people out there saying TikTok should be banned. So Evan doesn't need to, to I'll leave, chirp. I'll in. leave that up to the government. Well, what what is what does it mean for Evan to say that? Like, because it, it's going to be perceived as a as a competitor saying yes, they should be banned. So, like, what's the upside? There's no upside. Let the process take its course. Yeah. The only political. thing that was interesting is he went into like he did discuss Sifius for like another like sixty or ninety seconds oh, after so, that. Yeah, I I, I Which, bet he I bet he knows what's yeah, but going why on. Why is that with, surprising? With I don't understand why any of this is he, surprising. <laughs> Because the biggest unlock for his business is Snap going away. Of course. <laughs> TikTok going away. Yeah. None of this is surprising. I By the know. way, we might need TikTok just to cut goes that away, entire section. <laughs> what stock? Go- yeah, seriously. What stock goes up the most? Facebook, Facebook of course. Not Snap. Because the, don't the- forget, Snap is still at its core a messaging app. Are they c- competing for advertising dollars? Yes, they are. But especially as they've also, they're shifting out of their original content program at Snap. They're they're moving away from entertainment and more towards utility. Map is utility. They're pull, pulling back on games, entertainment, right? Whereas Facebook, so Meta, whatever the fuck you want to call them, is pushing harder into entertainment and away from utility on the core apps metaverse is a different thing the only thing i'd say is that they're pulling back on their originals but others are pumping more and more in and that's where more and more of the monetization is is on third-party content and i think they sort of primed the pump with other people with their own content and now others are really taking over so i don't know if the I don't, I don't think you're going to see a pullback in overall content in Discover. I just think you'll see less of their originals and Got more it. third-party content. Just a little minor Got it. nuance. Okay. No, that's that's a fair correction. But overall, utility versus a company who's you know straight following TikTok into being real entertainment first. 
there is no doubt it would be very good for Meta stock if TikTok didn't exist. But who knows? How do you? I don't know how you. I don't know how you. You know, buy or sell stocks on that at this point when there's no. I don't know how to have any visibility on that actually happening. Uh, we've got. Um, I will read this one, Brandon, because I'm worried you'll screw it up. Julia Borston, Bob Iger says he thinks movie going won't return to pre-pandemic levels as people have learned to love the flexibility of streaming. That was from CodeCon. And then Axios has the tweet we've been expecting for weeks now. The parent company of Regal Cinema, one of the top three uh, theater chains in the U.S., has filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection, saying it hopes to emerge from bankruptcy in early 2023. Not Nothing too shocking. It's just sort of amazing that... You know, it's sort of amazing it took this long, but it's also, I think, a sign that even as we've gotten past the pandemic, uh, you are still seeing pretty atrocious theatrical numbers coming out of, you know, there's just stuff's just not working. I mean, I was with, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I was looking at some of the numbers and the number one film, I think it was the number, you know, Top Gun, I think was number one on Memorial Day and number one on Labor Day, which I don't think has ever happened in the history of the movie business, which I think just shows you how. There's just not a lot of movies out to watch. Like things are just not performing. Rich, I have two questions on this. Sure. If if you, first, let's talk about the amount of dollars that has been invested into streaming platforms and how they're. If I'm correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like there's kind of a pullback on that. So if you think about this pool of dollars, I'm sure it expanded from the overall media dollars that were spent. But it also obviously took away from dollars spent to make good movies. So to the extent there's a pullback on streaming investment, isn't it arguable that that led to crappier movies because there just wasn't dollars allocated to movies? So now if they're pulling back on streaming, maybe there's a reallocation back to making better movies and that gets people back in the theaters. That's my first question. Go. Okay. So, so it's an interesting idea. There is certainly a slowdown. Warner Brothers is clearly pulling back on some spending. There's, you know, there's no doubt about it. But Apple, Amazon are fucking gunning it. So I don't know, like overall what's dollars. Increase? What's, what's the what's the increase that, that you're expecting for Apple in 23 over 22 percentage wise, if you were to guess? It's off a low base, by the way. It could be it could be six billion up to eight or nine. Mm-hmm. OK, I don't so know. Five one, to that's seven, one five company. To eight. Yep. And Amazon, mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, like they just chunked in a billion dollars more for. Thursday night football. So you're saying, yeah, but, that's thing, but that's that's a good point there, because you're talking about Amazon has mixed shifted into sports, that's and fair. when you're starting to talk about Walt's point, which is theatrical, the competition isn't sports for that. I know it's like oh, the broad competition for time, but you know, different type of content. Just they're not making quality. Okay, my second question is, I was on the Twitter earlier today. And maybe it was something else, but they were basically someone was showing a picture of Brad Pitt clapping and I tried to click through and I guess there was a, there's some Madonna movie that was at this Venice Fest or something like that. Venice Film Festival. Anyway, someone, the, the question here is under, under all this was, this was the best longest ovation of anything of these kind, but then someone like quote tweeted it with a Netflix ticker. So I assume that means that that was a Netflix movie and is that not showing up in the theaters or do you have no idea what i'm talking about it's a madonna it's a movie no i'm sorry not madonna sorry marilyn thought- monroe marilyn monroe it's called i think it's called blonde maybe 
Or do you have any idea what I'm talking no, about? The only one that I heard a lot about was the Brendan Fraser movie about the 600 pounds. This person. is definitely not Brendan Fraser. This can, I, can I step in now that I can? Well, you, I think you're doing yeah, some searching because you didn't know the media. The media mogul didn't know what the hell I was talking about. Let's so yes, it. step in after you've Googled. Well, I want to do two things. <laughs> one is, yes, the problem is, Unless you create something massive, like a Top Gun, mm-hmm. really spend hundreds of millions of dollars. I think it's pretty clear you can't put something in a theater and expect to get a return. Okay. So you may see lower budget things like what Jason Blum does with Blumhouse or you know, horror films. Like You may see some of those. Friend but I think like most Jeff. of these, yes. But I think these middle of the road things like these... 80 and by the way, that doesn't mean middle of the road in terms of quality. No, right? oh, I'm in budget. I'm sorry, I'm in budget. In yes, terms of thank, budget, thank you. That the, uh, only the four quadrant films are performing well in the 14 things that really hit the teens who want to go, like the horror right. flicks, like everything else ah, is getting right. obliterated. So I think the studios are going, we can't finance those, so we're not going to make them, or we're going to send those to streaming. Or yeah. we're going like, to even the next Blumhouse why, film, Halloween's going both day and date. Like, I don't know. Uh, you know, look at look at Lightyear. Disney put up a probably I don't know, 150, 200 million dollar film that nobody saw in the theater. Yeah, but it was apparently not good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just saying, like, the the the, the number of films that are going to be successful seems like it's shrinking pretty rapidly. Yeah. But to your point on Blonde. The Marilyn Milo pick at Venice. That is a Netflix Monroe. Monroe. That is a Netflix exclusive only on Netflix. Interesting. So it's it's amazing that there's they have all these fancy LA or um Hollywood people celebrating this thing. And it looks like it's like a movie type of thing. This is the best thing ever, and it's and it's not gonna be in theaters. It might be in the Paris Theater in New York. <laughs> There might be a screen that's or two not, in New York City. It might, you, you, you can go. I'll tell, I'm going to buy you a ticket. We're going to see it together. Well, let's go to the next slide. Walt, could you read this one? From Peter Kafka, former Disney CEO Bob Iger made a lot of money selling stuff to Netflix and then came to regret it. Quote, it became pretty clear that we had been. Are we? How many quotes are we doing from this recode conference? Maybe we should just replay the whole thing. Anyway, it became, quote, it became pretty clear that we had been selling nuclear weapons technology to a third world country of source or developing country. They were now using it Albania. against us. Close quote. Do <laughs> um, you want me to read the Joe Flint follow up? Yes, because that was not at CodeCon. Thank God. I mean, like, we have like five slides from CodeCon. It's Joe Flint. Sony Pictures Chief Tony Vincicara suggests Vincicara. at Analyst suggest an analyst conference that streamers looking at you, Netflix need to start looking at licensing their content elsewhere after it's been exhausted on their own platforms. My thought is this will happen and makes sense. Do you agree with Joe Flint, Brandon? I think that there's some stuff that could be licensed elsewhere. Um, I think stuff that has sort of what I would call rewatch value, such as Seinfeld and friends and that stuff um, that people want to watch again and again and again, I would not license that at all, but maybe some of these serialized pieces that, you know, completely get burned through. Maybe Um, I think it's a case by case basis. 
I mean, if I asked you, should Game of Thrones, since it's over, be licensed to Netflix, what would you say? Well, based on I, his I answer, know, I think I would, he would say no, right? I would say no on that. What if I, I said True Detective? What's that? Probably yes. That was Woody Harrelson. Remember, they just have to find the yeah, dead no, bodies. I, I know. There's been. And a I'm, I was doing that for Walt. I knew you knew what it was. I was doing it for never Walt's it. information. You never saw True Detective? No. Season one was good. Season two, you could skip, but season one sounds was like a boomer great. show. It's definitely not a boomer. Are you show. sure that wasn't on Paramount? Dude, it was. <laughs> yes, they should license it to Paramount because I think that Paramount could get a good run of it. True oh, Detective. Just... What about MacGyver? Can you get MacGyver on there? MacGyver? Didn't they do a new MacGyver? I thought they were rebooting MacGyver. I think Something it was a movie, about. a Saturday Night Live movie. Well, now we're bringing up your favorite person, Walt, uh, Alex Sherman, who's got uh, there are people in and around both Disney and Comcast who think Hulu would be a better strategic fit at Comcast than Disney. But that doesn't mean Disney's going to sell Hulu to Comcast. It's not a thing. One Comcast exec said to me, and obviously Alex Sherman works for Comcast as part of NBCU, uh, which is the. I'm so bored with this Hulu stuff. And like, it feels like I always zone out when you talk about Hulu and who should buy it and who shouldn't buy it. Like, why does this keep coming up? Like, and why should I give a fuck? Because it's never changing. Like, I don't, I just don't understand this. Can you simplify this in an interesting way? Because it bores me to tears. Well, Disney owns two thirds. Yes. Comcast owns a third or NBC yeah. owns a third. Correct. It is, it is what causes you to not have a unified experience. No, I understand all that, but we, why does it keep coming up? Because there's an option in 2024, January. Okay. It's 2022. Let's look. Can we put it? Can we just not have these yeah. slides until 2024? <laughs> Cause it's just it's five quarter. It's now like five quarters away from coming to a head. It's just a. It's to me. It's like you media people talk about this Hulu thing forever, and nothing ever happens. Like who cares? Well, investors care. So Disney investors don't even care about the price; they just want it resolved. Like I don't think there's any Disney investor listening no, to this podcast. I, I that understand. Would give a flying that. fuck what price they pay. Like they okay, truly I understand could pay any that. price. Message to investors: You've been talking about getting this resolved for I don't know how long because it bores me. And it's not getting resolved. So like, it's insanity to expect something to get resolved that hasn't gotten resolved for a couple of years. I don't know anything about the details. And maybe you'll say, oh no, this time it's going to get resolved. But then that, I, if that's the case. I, it'll definitely be resolved in five quarters. In five no, quarters? Okay. Actually, no. So the information I've learned is it won't actually be. So what happens what? is this is typical banker bullshit. So get how this works. Each side hires an investment bank in January of 24. If they're within 10% and they're oh, this not is the Lynn within 10%. Yeah, this is how Lynn does it. Then yeah. you got to go hire a third. I said, well, oh, how sure. do you hire a third? We have to agree on the third. Well, yeah. How long does that take? Who the hell knows? This is this is not unique, Rich. This has been done many times. I know. Before. No, no. This is typical banker. Okay, like, but yeah, that, that's the process. Then why talk about so it now? Someone else gets to have fees. Yeah. It's that's just the process. Like I've seen that structure in many deals. Like I don't like. Can we not talk about Hulu ever again? Because there's never a resolution. And if investors are wanting a resolution, like sorry, you're not getting it. They did announce the end of Handmaid's Tale season six. So one more season after today or after this one. <laughs> what, Brandon? Could we not screw this up? Let's go creator economy. Um, and sort of future of Meta. Could you the read information, the information? Exclusive Instagram is scaling back its shopping features as part of a retreat from commerce. 
Um, Start with that one before we go to the second one. Okay. I mean, you surprised? This is this is what I do. now look. I understand that Instagram is becoming much more reels heavy. It is much more about serving entertaining pieces of content to people that they didn't know that they um, necessarily were interested in or would enjoy. That's kind of the future of Instagram. And it's pretty clear in what Mark said in the Joe Rogan interview. That being said, you're going to have advertising. And a lot of that advertising is direct response. Why can't they close the loop? Like what is the block the what is blocking them from being able to close the loop in fulfilling that transaction or well, having killing that transaction closed right? on platform? Well, they're not killing all commerce. They're just killing the fact that there's going to be a shop, a dedicated shopping experience inside of Instagram. But it sort of seemed like they were creating shops and every brand. Like it just seemed like they were so moving in that direction of sort of becoming sort of that browsing. Like when you went to a mall and you browse, like that's sort of what Instagram felt like it was becoming. I just don't know why it's not working. It seems so obvious to your point. Well, it's. They're an entertainment platform. That's it. Well, I guess as you move more towards a TikTok-like clone in Reels, maybe it's an acknowledgement that it's just going to feel much, much less like that browsing shopping experience. Maybe it's maybe they're tied together. That as you shift to full screen video, you really can't have a sh- sort of picture browsing experience. Maybe that's it. As I'm just thinking out loud. Did he freeze or he's just really <laughs> slow? I don't know. I, I said, what do you want me to say? Okay. We're leaving this in. This is so good. I love this. Okay. Your eye movement. Well, the problem is your eye movement was like back and forth and it was like just so good. Like Okay. Okay. Let's move to the second part of the slide because the second part of the slide is what I think is really even maybe even well, not more. Fisher, also really interesting. Platforms pulling back money for news and creators snap to discontinue investments in some originals we discussed that mm-hmm. youtube shut down original production team in january mm-hmm. they've never done well with originals at all mm-hmm. youtube is a platform google is a tech company period mm-hmm. end of story meta no longer paying news pubs have we discussed that not sure but we have discussed the fact that mark does not want pretty much anything to do with news because he feels like it's a lose lose no rhyme intended situation substack scaled back upfront payments to writers and that's a financial decision more than anything else i think what you're sort of seeing is across the board it's getting tougher in the creator economy and you're seeing a lot of rebuild. Like we've seen a lot of creators frustrated that they're not making money on TikTok. They're not making money on Instagram. Like they're just, it's just getting harder and harder to make money. One of the things that I think people are going to be talking more about over the next 12 months, Snap inside of, you know, what Snap's been trying to do is put mid-roll content into their Discover content. And let so they're basically creators that are getting popular on the platform on Spotlight. They're not monetizing Spotlight yet. But creators that are popping up on Spotlight are getting series inside of Snapchat Discover 
with mid-roll and actually really monetizing. So it'll be interesting whether Snap becomes, as others pull back, does Snap sort of look at that as an opportunity to make money with creators? Because creators are obviously having a harder and harder time figuring out how to make money outside of a place that's always been the best, which is YouTube. We'll see. I don't. I think it was kind of a misnomer to say all of those things were related to the traditional creator economy, though. Why? Like, I mean, like just other ways like of Facebook, like Facebook not paying news organizations. Okay. Just like more YouTube more. disbanding its own original content, Snap disbanding its own original. Like but- those are actually pro creator economy things because. They're saying, okay, we'll let the creators um, serve those functions. But but like YouTube was, a lot of YouTube content was built from creators, right? Like it was creator-led shows that were being produced. So it wasn't like they were high. I mean, yeah, there were a few shows like Cobra Kai back in the day, but most of it was creator shows. Eh. We can agree to disagree. Eh. Okay. I know Sarah Fisher is your... Um, your morning uh, buddy for um, for uh, CNBC. So, Walt, could you read uh, AV Club, which I assume you were in at some point? Rich, you were the one that ran a radio station. <laughs> did you did you replace the slides on the on the projector? Those little round slides was that your job? What was that thing? What was it called when it projected up with the glass thing and the, the carousels? Yeah, Amazon yeah. says 25 million people overhead are... projector. Yes, there you go. Thank you. I think the overhead was slides. I'm talking about the actual carousel slide projector. Amazon says 25 million people have already watched Lord of the Rings. Variety says House of the Dragon episode three falls by 1 million cable viewers, marking first linear ratings drop. Wait a minute. Earlier in the week, Rich, I think I tweeted at you and then texted at you and then tweeted at you again and then texted you again. Around the seventh text, you responded that, no, they hadn't disclosed ratings. And now you're showing me a tweet that ratings were disclosed. So which is it? So I want to be clear. Apples and oranges. Oh, thank you. Well, well, apples and like half oranges, I I, I would say. So when HBO reported numbers the first two weeks, that Mm -hmm. was a total number, meaning HBO linear. Sure. HBO on demand that night. Mm -hmm. Yes. And HBO Max streaming. Wonderful. So they basically take the Nielsen numbers plus their own proprietary HBO Max data I, I and combine it. They've decided to no longer report the HBO Max data. So but why Nielsen are we showing still it reports because Nielsen still reports. Yeah, and I think it directionally shows you. So it directionally shows you what probably happened in total. I don't know about that. So what, which, which portion of those three components did Nielsen report? Nielsen reports what Nielsen tracks, which is, which is linear. Okay. So we're just assuming that streaming didn't pick up additionally and in, in, uh, to offset the million decline sequentially. I don't doubt it. Don't know. Okay. It's possible. It could have been other things competing that night to watch. So it's possible. Some How of about it was... this? If it did, mm-hmm. obviously HBO would have released the number. They released it the first two weeks and suddenly they didn't in the third week, which in and of itself indicates it was down. But I want to talk about a bigger issue. But hang on. As the only person who said it was going to be down this week, Mm -hmm. I think that is largely because it was a holiday weekend. 
So I agree with you that the bigger tell here is the fact that they didn't report it. Uh, and I don't know how we we have multiple podcasts where we vilify Nielsen and then all of a sudden we're propping them up as a, as a legitimate stat. Can we can we be academically honest on this podcast at least? That is fair. That is fair. But I want to just get to one thing that I thought was also interesting. Mm-hmm. How much of HBO's viewership is still coming from linear? Right. Because even that three million last week, it just shows you that sort of two thirds or more um, of HBO's watching isn't on HBO Max. People are literally using HBO, the network. And that's just that's something that like WBD has got to figure out how they get more people into the streaming app and less people watching linear television as linear TV keeps shrinking. Just something to think about. That's a good segue into commenting about how um, Charter and Comcast provided virtually no information about trends in, in Q3. So Why I don't do you think know, that maybe, was, Walt? Why do you think they gave well, no information this week? Using mm-hmm. Brandon's um, argument earlier um, in terms of HBO, which I agree with, which is if, you don't, if you're not talking about something, it probably ain't good. And there was well, a lot of, in Charter's case, they, um, whoever the interviewer was, I'm not sure who the analyst is there, but very soft questioning in terms of um, uh, where broadband is in the quarter. And the Charter CFO, I think, used the word long-term 19 times. It was, it was literally uncomfortable how many times long-term was used, which typically means like if you're focusing people, like we hope to get back to that. And even, even in Comcast, there were, I could parse out a segment from Jason Armstrong where he was said something like, you know, we hope to return to growth at some point. It may have been kind of a, a minor slip, but, you know, they basically said nothing in terms of Q3 trends. It doesn't, it both means it's not getting better, but Comcast likes to, you know, it likes to do the little bit of, you know, pre-announce if necessary. Right. But right. And the way they, the way they typically, right, you're right. So if it was bad, they would have said something and they have no. Jason basically take the bullet in terms of the bad news. And then Brian speaks at Goldman the following week and doesn't have to talk about the bad stuff. So you're right. It, it could mean that maybe things aren't as bad or maybe they just don't know. Like we're just in this, there's a or month that. to go. Well, I'll tell you what was interesting, though, is I was with a bunch of investors um, at Code this week because there was also an investor conference out in L.A. as well. And people were sort of expecting, knowing that Brian Roberts is speaking at next week um, at an investor conference, sort of people sort of thought that they would sort of whatever really bad news, they were going to drop it this week and sort of like reset the the base before Brian got up next week. And they didn't do that. So I don't know. So to Brandon's. So to Brandon's point that he just made, maybe that implicitly means things aren't that bad. So maybe, which gets back to, well, maybe, you know, the bundle disconnections as well. I mean, the focus obviously is on broadband, but there could be some level of correlate. Maybe broadband is fine. And then, and then the video disconnections are going to be off the charts, but I guess we'll find out soon enough. Brandon, it's all about where the street is anyway. Thank you for that interjection. That was super helpful. You know, my internet keeps coming in and out. I feel like rich today. You you look and sound. You actually you you look a little red today for the first time. I will say that. Maybe it's your fever, but I'm guessing no. it's more your camera. But can you read this one on game? All right. This is from Stephen Totillo. News: Tencent is not buying Ubisoft, but it is investing heavily in the company, announcing a new 300 euro 
300 million euro, about the same in dollars. No shit. If you know exchange rates, investment 49.9% stake in the Gillimit brothers, the company run by Ubisoft's co-founders that has the largest stake in Ubisoft. So the way Tencent generally works when they invest in foreign entities anyway, is they buy, you know, to just below 50% because it is China and, you know, there is obviously uh, skepticism globally about having Chinese control your companies. Um, the one thing, the biggest problem that Ubisoft has is cultural um, and sort of, I would say, cultural and operational. And while Tencent could come in and help fix things like monetization, um, where they have expertise, I don't think they're going to France and changing the culture of the business there. It's just not going to happen. And that besides the kind of like family control aspects of that business, one of the reasons I think it doesn't get bought by a U.S. publisher is that those kind of cultural differences and the difficulty in in changing and is that good or bad ultimately for the business is what good or bad not getting bought like is it sort of sitting in this sort of i mean large... well, well look it's an inefficient company okay that, that's in, what i was sort of getting in at. in the best of all possible worlds you know you have a u.s publisher come in buy it clean it up and make it much more efficient. But that's just not something that's probably going to happen is my answer. You have Tencent in here. They will make tweaks and improvements on the monetization side. Yes. They will help with things like free to play. Yes. But there's only so much they could do. That's my answer. We're going to, go down and age quite a bit right now and talk about Coco Melon. And there was this story out this week that 572 million, I'm not going to read all of this, but um, it was, this is the number of views YouTube star Coco Melon got during the last week of August. And it says the show regularly rakes in over 500 view, million views a week. And six of the top 10 channels by views are made for children proof that kids entertainment, despite a regulatory blah, 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 blah. That so one side of this is that you know that Coco Melon is huge, but the, the reason I brought this up on on the slide this week is that for the first time Netflix has launched exclusive Coco Melon content, so licensing from um, Moonbug, which was bought by Candle Media, Kevin Mayer, and Tom Staggs, friend of the shed. The 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 thing that's interesting is this has been non-exclusive content for so long. And now they're starting to go in and starting to actually recognize how important kids content is and that they have to have, you know, that they need exclusive content on the platform. And I think you're going to see more and more things that Netflix does in the kids category. And again, they haven't been terribly, you know, they've been okay. I mean, Sea Beast, I think was good. Their recent animated film, uh, probably one of the best animated films they've had so far, but they clearly need more kids content. And, and it's interesting just because we know at the same time, companies like WBD, Warner Brothers Discovery, are moving away from kids' content. And so just the differences in strategy are just really interesting right now among these companies. And 
you know, Netflix clearly leaning in on kids hard and probably even more so, even as they're, even though they're cutting back overall spend, Brandon, we're seeing them actually allocate, I think, more dollars overall into the kids category. Yeah, I, I think the most interesting part is that everyone believed that exclusivity in kids just didn't matter. And that was sort of one of the core tenets of Moonbug in general was like, yeah, we could have our content everywhere because, you know, kids aren't and parents aren't going to be discerning enough to figure it out and choose which place. And now that is going to exclusivity. So it that's that's a real shift, not just it doesn't just highlight the difference in strategy between Netflix and WBD, which it it does that, but also there's this change in the belief of the necessity of exclusivity around kids content. That's all. Content wars getting younger. I love the eyes. Those eyes are awesome. We're going to make a video out of those eyes and put it on TikTok. <laughs> Walt, could you read Claire? Okay. Claire Atkinson um, tweets, John Hunters, in case you missed Job it. Hunters. Oh, thank you. Jesus. Job Hunters. I was, I was literally about to ask, who's John Hunters? I need more context. <laughs> <laughs> Job Hunters. Apple is pouring a reported $335 million a year into baseball and soccer and hiring dozens of sports producers and strategists to make sure its bet pays off. Sports okay. business journal. I mean, we Go started ahead. the podcast talking about Apple winning. Um, uh, they haven't won anything yet. Well, they haven't, but it's we our, think they're going to. Uh, it's our belief that they're going to win Sunday ticket, right? Yeah. So, sports is becoming more of a priority now. Base baseball. You know, is baseball and they don't have a ton of rights there, but they own everything in MLS. And that's a good experimental ground. And it do you doesn't like the take broadcast? just the rights, but the but production like the and the broadcast, especially the broadcasters, matter a lot. One of the things that I've noticed in watching the Apple broadcast is while there's some interesting aspects to it in terms of technology, use of technology. The broadcasters themselves suck, so the content isn't that engaging. So in this $335 million, I forget the exact number that was on there, they should probably dedicate five or ten of that to the broadcasters who are telling the story around baseball. And baseball is a story sport. It's fucking boring on its own if no one's talking around it. And you need somebody to... to sort of bridge the gaps in between pitches there. Angelo Cataldi from Angelo Odyssey. Cataldi. <laughs> I was, was going to go with Gary Keith and Ron, but you know. <laughs> oh my God, go ahead. The legendary Angelo Cataldi from Odyssey uh, and the Philly Sports Radio agrees with you saying that announcers are terrible. I would interject for the 1,000th time perhaps that rather than also spending money for announcers, which is probably a good start, that they also enable alt audio and and, and let any number of people tell their narrative uh, in terms of the uh, you know the game. And, and maybe that can help. There's a technology solution. Walt, you want to keep reading? <laughs> Sports <laughs> Business Journal. No the one AF- can read today. <laughs> no, I'm laughing because you put a, a picture of Angelo Cataldi on the slide. Oh. The king. 
The AFL <laughs> has landed the biggest sports broadcast rights deal in Australian history, worth $4.5 billion, I assume that's U.S. dollars, for seven years. Why do we care about Australian football? Well, Australian rules football was the original sport that I remember. Okay, on but ESPN. why do we care about it? But overall, um, it just shows this. While there has been in Europe specifically some, you know, flat or down rounds in sports rights on a general global basis, sports rights continue to climb. We saw what happened in India with cricket rights and others. And now you're seeing this in Australia with Australian rules football. But remember, there's an important thing outside of the U.S., Sports is basically a la carte, meaning you pay for Sky Sports if you want it. You pay for these packages all over the world if you want it. The only country where everyone has had to pay, you're going to stop me. Go ahead. Or it's or it's free and ad-based. Sure. But but yeah. but most of the really expensive stuff, the premium yep. stuff, has been paid for. You know, you know, so only the people that paid for it. The problem in the US is. Everyone has paid for it, even though most didn't that's want right. it. And, and that's why our model is in complete disarray and collapse that's 100%. versus the rest of the world. Even I though think- sports rights in the U.S. continue to well, climb in value, the big question is, you know, when the cable networks and their streaming services that are flattening out in terms of subscribership cannot afford to keep pushing up rights, Amazon, we know, is there. But is Apple, who's experimenting, going back to the last slide, is definitely not Meta, probably not Google. Who else is going to be there? Disney probably will be, right? But who else is going to be there to pick up the slack? And do we have this continued march of sports rights higher after this, you know, sort of, you know, the completion of this, I would say, round of sports renewals? I don't know. We might have to dig up good luck sports with with, bas- with basketball being, you know, kind of the potential blow off top. You tell me well, we're going to see. I mean, I, I wonder whether I think ESPN and Warner Dis- Turner, I think these companies are starting to realize they can't spend on NBA rights the way they did before. So the question is, is going to be other streamers going to step into basketball? Because yep. I think the national deals. These cable networks, they got to be looking at their numbers. It is just horrifying. Rich, we saw it with local sports rights, right? Do national sports rights follow local sports rights? We'll see. It's going to be very. My guess is the NBA deal gets done, you know, at nice numbers. It's after that as we get into the next round. And that's one of the reasons the NFL did such a long dated deal. Speaking of volatile situations, um, you want to talk about our last slide, Brandon? I don't even know what this is going to be. So, oh, God. Um, What I'm seeing here is Zuck uh, fighting with some other guy. His trainer. And and Joe Rogan says, I don't know who that is. Do you? It's a famous trainer. Oh, he talks about it on his, he talks about oh, it on, that's on, the, on guy. the podcast. Okay, I, know I presume that's okay. who it is. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. This is great, says Joe Rogan. I'm so happy to see this. Training looks solid too. Zuck says, thanks. It really is the best sport. Also really enjoyed our conversation a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and the UFC okay. chimes in 
combo's looking clean. Zuck gives a fist pump to UFC. It's just sort of like fascinating how this has become like, you know, his obsession all of a sudden. Okie dokie. And <laughs> that was a terrible last slide. That was a absolutely <laughs> terrible last slide, but what we have no choice but to go with it. A, a good thing to do. So on like the gong show or whatever, they would hit the gong or at the Academy Awards, they would just start playing the music. Oh, boy. So what you could have done there was just start playing the music. But now <laughs> the music still isn't on Rich. And I I say, look, you got kind of a half-assed version of two-thirds of us with me being sick and Rich uh... off the red eye. And these are some of the things that happen in those situations. As I continue... Oh, there it goes. Oh. That was good filibustering, Brandon. This is like when the news reporter, they're like, stretch it out. Stretch. Yeah. Stretch. Stretch. Um, I guess this is this is our continued tribute to the Queen. I guess it's the right way to go out for episode of 123 with our everyone's did not like the last slide, but we're leaving it anyway. And that's it. Brandon, feel better. Have a relaxing weekend. No, never. Don't tell me you're going to a concert this weekend. No, 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 no. Brandon, I have what some, about my I have weekend? Some, I have some <laughs> family stuff, and I gotta. I have some things to write. Oh, more writing? More writing, Rich, if I can, if I'm up to it. Brandon, aren't you going to ask Rich if he's going to ask about my weekend? <laughs> oh, yeah. How is this possible? Okay, we're stopping now. Rich, Later, ask about Walt's weekend. No, nope. I don't want to. Bye. Nope. Bye. Why can't you ask about Walt? You are